Welcome to Catholic Radio for Katie Anna's presentation of Cajun Catholics. Here's your host, Todd Citron. You're listening to Cajun Catholics. I'm your host, Todd Citron. My co-host today is a man you're very familiar with, Mr. Calvin James. And today, it is my great pleasure and such a blessing in my life to be with legendary coach Dale Brown. He's in the Basketball Hall of Fame. He, we're here, Calvin and I are to help and get him inducted into God's Hall of Fame. Amen. Uh, you know, but it's such a pleasure, Coach, for you to be here. Thank you for being on the show today. It is my pleasure. Thank you, Coach. So, Coach, um, I think we should start at the beginning. I know quite a lot about you, and uh, I read a little bit about your mom. And you and I had some conversations about how our mothers uh, really lived a similar <clears throat> life, devout Catholics, and... Um, you know, I read that you made Mass every day, and it was tough. And, and uh, t- tell us a little bit about your childhood. My wonderful life actually started two days before I was born. My biological father bailed out of my mother. He disappeared. I had two older sisters, 12 and 11. My mother moved off a farm in North Dakota, had an eighth-grade education, um, moved into a one-room apartment above a bar and a hardware store, No bath, no toilet, no shower. We shared it with about 20 other people. She had to go on welfare, which is very demeaning, $42.50. Became a maid, babysat for people, 50 cents an hour. But that woman never once ever talked negative about the guy that left her, never smoked, never drank, never swore, never dated anybody, pathologically maybe the most honest human being I've ever met in my life. Now, you know, talk is cheap. We, Kelvin and you and I, we can talk on the mic and then live a phony life. But my mother walked the walk. My, my favorite poet is Edgar Guest. He described my mother perfectly. I'd rather see a lesson than to hear one any day. I'd rather you walk with me than to merely show the way. The eye's a better teacher and more willing than the ear. The counsel you are giving may be very fine and true, but I'd rather get my examples by observing what you do. Let me tell you what I observed from her. Two times in the middle of winter, two times, 35 below zero, 35 below zero. She came home with groceries, two brown paper sacks, put them up on the counter. She'd take a pencil and cross out the bread, the beans, the peas, the milk, sell the meat. Two times without making an announcement to me what she was doing. She said, I'll be right back, son. Where are you going? She came over and she said, oh, the lady at the Red Owl gave me a quarter too much. I saw her take 40 cents back to the Piggly Wiggly. Um, Also, you're talking about a spiritual woman. Now, this you'll think is embellished, and it is not embellished a centimeter. Every day, not Sunday, every day, she woke me up, Kelvin and Todd, to go to Mass and Communion. Now, I tried everything. Polio. If, if I'd known about AIDS, I'd use that. Uh, oh, anything. Cancer. Dale, we're going to church. That's an example. Wow. I know you had two older sisters that were, they, they, they were all hauled off to mass as well. I'm sure. Um, they were they were 12 and 11 at the time, and I I don't remember them going to mass. No, just, she just picked yeah. on you. Maybe she wore them out. <laughs> You mentioned uh, some long, long nights on, on the fire escape, and I read a little bit about that. And I, I read a quote that said, you said, I, if I could live my life between 1 and 4 a.m., I'd be twice the person I am. Correct. Explain that. Um, 
the fire escape first or the one to fall? Well, I guess it's all one, one story uh, maybe. But, but I used to go sit in the fire escape. Now, I never felt sorry for myself. I was mad. I was mad that she was left with no money at all, strict poverty. All of our clothes smelled like mothballs. We got them in the rummage sale. But uh, I, I, would, I would sit in that fire escape and I would dream and, and – um, so many different thoughts come to my mind now when you talk about the past. Mo- most people, when they have bad things happen, it crushes them. She did just the opposite. She became a light for me. She became a, a goal for me. And I think the fact that, uh, you know, the, the impossible, they've said, is something nobody can do until somebody does it. Nothing is impossible. Now, I don't think personally, and this is not meant evangelistic or anything else, I don't think it's possible to find happiness through a billion dollars, to win the national championship, to marry the best-looking wife, to have the biggest house. That's joy. But happiness is when you really do take God into your life. And there's something funny also that uh, I find. My mentor of 40 years, John Wooden, was the singular most Christ-like man I've ever met in my life. However, he never talked about it. St. Francis of Assisi in the 13th century made a pretty profound statement. We should preach the gospel every day and, if necessary, use words. How many phony evangelists are out there right now getting money? Send in. I need a $3 million jet. Um, You don't have to talk it. You live it, you see it. That's what I saw in my mother. That's what I saw in John Wooden. It's beautiful. Calvin? Yeah, well, uh, I noticed I was reading on the way here about uh, the Hall of Fame, and I know that you wrote it. Uh, can you tell me how and what inspired you to write that? It's so f- profound, you know. Uh, it starts with, uh, you know, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Coach and on, I talked on, about that, yeah. On, 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 on Earth. So uh, t- tell me how did you, uh, what what led you to write this, you know, this little poem here. It's, it's, it's so profound. I think probably uh, the old coach gave me that mentality. He was a Catholic priest, Father John Hogan. Um, he... He became a father substitute to me and taught me so many things. Now, I don't know if you were around priests very much. No. Well, I went to Catholic school for 12 years. And uh, I I, I think the thing that stimulated me the most about this guy, I had been kicked out of a class, not kicked out. I was leaving the class. We had a tough old mean nun. They had those habits. And she had a hearing aid. And she'd hit you with the ruler, you know, nobody really liked her. And as we're walking out of the room, I said to the guy next to me, boy, is she a SOB? Get to the next class. There's a knock on the door. Is Dale Brown here? Called me out in the hall. He said, what did you just call sister in the class? And he had me up against the locker. Well, I didn't want to use the words that I used in front of him. So I said, I swore to her. You swore to her? Now he's really in my face. Well, what did you swear? I said, I said, 
you're an SOB. You said the words SOB? Now he's squeezing the back of my neck. He had me by the shirt, and he's, I don't know if he meant it, but he sort of banged my head off the locker, and he cut my lower lip. I folded my fist, Calvin. I said, as soon as he lets me go, I'm going to deck him. <laughs> that was the father image to me. Mm-hmm. I was going to hit him. And he said, man, and he squeezed the back of my neck, and he said, Dale Brown, you can make something in your life. You know why? He said, God don't make any junk. I love you, man. And he walked down the hall. Wow. Now, I've told this story, and I'm telling it now. I don't want to sound like a baby. I could almost cry. That's the first man that ever told me he loved me. There has not been one player I've ever coached in 44 years that I didn't tell him I, I didn't love him. Some of them I didn't like as much as I loved him. <laughs> but I think it's examples you get from people. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, that's pretty good. Coach, I know you travel a lot, a lot, lot, um, and uh, I've had the great privilege to take my daughter to the Holy Land, and it was quite an experience. We went to Jacob's Well and did some some amazing things. I know in your bio you you, you went in search for Noah's Ark. Tell, I, I told that to somebody at work because I told them I was coming to see you, and, and somebody who's not uh, not paying attention too much, they asked me if you found it. So I guess I should ask you, <laughs> did you find Noah's Ark? <laughs> Well, I have been fortunate, and and again, it was dreaming. I wanted to travel all over the world. Now, how am I going to travel all over the world? I don't have a bicycle. I got holes in the bottom of my shoes. Um, Ide fixe. Whatever you fix in your mind and will it, it'll happen. I think in in all the travels that I had, um, probably the one that was the most curious for me was Medjugorje. Now, I heard this, but... Unfortunately, with all the good, there's a lot of phony evangelists in this world. So really, I went to Medjugorje not because of a spiritual call. I was curious. curious yes. Is this all? Is this all in one of these big wheeler and dealer things that are going to get money and you know the Jimmy and Tammy Baker and you know Elmer Gantry type of thing? Uh, when I got there, we had, we had a, un, a unique group of people. We had a communist dentist, a Serbian, out of Belgrade, <laughs> our guide. We had a, a multimillionaire from Baton Rouge. We had a son with an unruly, spoiled, selfish child, um, a young lady that worked in our office, and myself. And we're coming down from the mountain, and there's a grape field with fresh grapes. I go down and pick some, and I take my hanky out, and I'm cleaning him off, and they're ahead of me. And I happen to look up at the sky. And I thought, something's wrong with me. And the sun, again, I swear on the Book of Mormon, the Korah, the Turan, the Bible, whatever else you want to put in front of me, this actually happened. I was hesitant in telling anybody about it because so many times people tell you stuff, and it is phony. All of a sudden, the sun left its orbit. And I thought, am I having a heat stroke or what? And so I hollered at those guys, and they were Far enough ahead of me, they couldn't hear me, so I ran out in a cornfield, big old rock, sitting there. I sat down, I thought, I must be hallucinating. I shut my eyes for a while. The sun goes back into orbit, and then all of a sudden, the sun changes. It's kind of a blue or a light black, and then a, a um, silver circle goes around it, <laughs> counterclockwise, then clockwise. And then I heard church bells ringing. With the with the now it, this it wasn't there was there wasn't an eclipse. The ground still was the same. Your skin looked the same. 
now a gold crucifix on its side, appears in front of the cross, in front of the uh, sun, comes all the way down the tail to the ground. I don't know how many seconds it lasted. Well, I got up, stunned. I walk up where they are now. The first guy I talked to was Saran, not Zoran, Zoran he called himself, Dennis the Communist. Had his hand up on a limb of the tree, and I said, Zoran, what, what just happened? Coach Steele Brown, Coach Steele Brown. We witnessed a miracle. I ran over everybody else. They were stunned. So we go back to the little pension. That morning, everybody got up, and they were heading to church ahead of me. I was the last one. I'm walking down a dirt road all by myself. I have no LSU gear on. Coach Brown? And I thought, I'm, 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 I'm loony. I'm cracking up. I saw the sun on my spoon. Now, how would somebody know me in Medjugorje, Yugoslavia? I turn around. Here's an elderly couple. Oh, how are you doing, Coach Brown? They were from the bayous, not Lafayette, but <laughs> down, down in that area. And I said, well, how long have you been here? Well, we've been here four days. I said, have you seen any miracles? He said, I think I should have my wife tell you about that. She said, yesterday, Coach, she said the exact time I saw it, she said, we, were, we saw the sun pulsate. We saw it go back. Then we saw it turn to a dark color, and then a silver thing goes clockwise, counterclockwise. And then, Coach Brown, she said, this is impossible. A gold cross wow. appeared in front of that, and the tail came all the way down to the earth. So to sort of intimidate her or question her, I said, a gold cross? I went like this, like you see a cross. She said, no, Coach Brown, it wasn't that way. It was on its side. Wow. But she said, when the Blessed Virgin appeared yesterday, it disappeared. What do you mean when it appeared? She said, at 4 o'clock. That was, that's when the cross disappeared. So there you go. take it for what it was. Coach, uh, you, uh, you could say it's my insanity or it was a miracle, but it was a miracle. Again, all you're listening to Cajun Catholics. Um, we have uh, legendary uh, retired coach Dale Brown from LSU basketball, and we're talking about Medjugorje and something that's close to my heart. Uh, coach, when my mom passed, she had written a diary for 42 years every day. And uh, I, I have five brothers, five older brothers, and I, I, I beg them that I be allowed to keep the diaries. Uh, when she passed, that was the possession I wanted from her the most, and uh, so I, I got to read the diaries front wow. to back. And um, she she felt the calling to go to Medjugorje, and my mom is very independent and got on a plane with no reservations, uh, and, and just went to Medjugorje, and out of the kindness of strangers, got taken in. And uh, her experience was that she said she saw the uh, miracle of the birds, is what she called it. And she said she couldn't had a hard time walking. I saw the yeah. same thing. Yeah. I know. I know exactly what you're going to yeah. talk about. Yeah. And so you know, it's just so real. It's a it's a place I hope to get to one day. Um, but that's so beautiful. So you know, I guess my question as as a, as a man of faith is, you know, and may I inject yeah, something sure. about, about before you go on? My wife is a Lutheran. I'm a Catholic. We've never had one bit of difference at all. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, Somebody, I don't know if it was a tour guy, I don't know who it was, somebody, no, we went to the store, and she bought, she said, I want to learn how to say the rosary. So she bought a rosary, and it was white beads, I remember. Pretty little rosary. One day I'm in my office working, and she's out in the other room. She's, Dale, Dale, this is weeks after we came back. Because they said, there was a change occurring in rosary beads. Mm-hmm. They were turning to gold color. 
again, is this just some gimmick? Who do you trust? Some con artist wants to get some money of somebody's faith they believe? Dale, Dale, get out here. So I came out, and she had a napkin, white napkin on her leg, and she had a rosary there. Look here. The beads. Had ch- some of them had changed to gold. Wow. So I said, this must be the lighting. And we, t- we actually took it to the windows. The rosary color changed. Why? Mm. Yeah, so, Coach, my question is, you know, how did that affect your faith? Because people take these these small miracles, these yeah. things, in different in different ways, huh, Calvin? Yes. And, you know, you wonder, is it something where you say, hey, okay, there is a God. I, I wasn't 100% sure now, I, you know, maybe I'm, I'm leaning, or, or, or how, how did you take that? I think how, again, I'm guessing this, probably how we all, when we pray, please cure me from this sickness and I'll become a better Christian. I'll do this, I'll do that. But time makes us float back to where we normally were after we're right. healed and what have you. Um, it's an indelible impression for life. The commitments I made at that time, they lasted a little bit. Then I kept, my, kept myself drifting back into <laughs> an area that I didn't really want to drift. So I think like anything else, you have to be cognizant cognizant of it all the time. It just isn't when you're in trouble you pray. Uh, I had a stroke, massive stroke, right after I retired. Never been sick in my life. All I did is I prayed to God, and I said, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, I know people do this time in and time again, and I heard the doctor tell my wife, you know, if we operate on them, we could lose them, and I don't know what to do in this situation. And all I said is, God, if it's it's your time, my time, I understand. Please save me. I'll do my best to be a better person. I walked out of there in 48 hours. The doctor came in, and he said, Coach, I trained at Mayo Clinic. He said, your carotid arteries were 95% blocked. Mm -hmm. He said, I called my professors to see if I diagnosed it wrong. He said, we just did an ultrasound. Your blood clots have disappeared. I don't know how to explain it. And I said, doctor, why are doctors so reluctant to say maybe it was a miracle? (laughs) Now, you could tell me anything you want. That was a miracle. I witnessed it. Whether anybody else wants to believe it, it's not significant to me. You know, Todd and I were talking on the way up here about uh, he it's a fasting. He, he loves to fast. And what I was explaining to him is that the same thing I'm going to tell you. Whenever, and you said it, you said that it's not just for the moment. You have to pray all the time. Correct. Things are bad, things are good. And I believe, and tell me how you feel about that, that when you keep yourself prepared that way, you keep yourself set up for what we would call miracles, whether they be small or large. So um, would you, do you think that your, your years of commitment, whether they be rocky or wavy, but your years of commitment had anything to do with when you got in trouble, you know, with your help, and we all do at times, that God was able to come through for you because you guys were familiar with each other? Kelvin, that, that's, a, that's a great question. And I'm not sure I can give you, it's a pretty profound question. Yeah. I'm not sure I can give you a, a, a good answer to it. But I do know this. <clears throat> when people say, I've heard people say, ah, there's no Christ, there's no God, there's no that. But I've been pretty fortunate. I've been on this earth 84 years. I've traveled in 90 right. countries. And the people that seem the happiest to me are not necessarily... The ones that have a yacht 
that are driving a Bentley, that live in a mansion, they got all the money in the world. We were in uh, the Czech Republic in the Tatra Mountains, and some peasants invited my wife and I. My wife is a world-renowned folk dance researcher, very humble, quiet, diametrically opposite of me. Um, after dinner, we're walking back to our little pension. These people were so beautiful, so spiritual. We didn't talk. They didn't push anything on you. But she said, you know, Dale, the longer I live, the more I realize the most extraordinary people on this earth are the most ordinary people. Mm-hmm. Let me give you an example. John Wooden. If ever there was a pattern of Christ, he would be it. We're having lunch in T.J. Ribs one day in Baton Rouge. And a young man off to the side, about 40 years old, standing, dressed nice. He stood there for a few minutes, and I saw him, and he came over. And Coach, just picking up his ribs. He said, excuse me, Coach Wooden. I know this is rude of me. He said, I don't want an autograph. I don't want a picture. I don't want to shake your hand. I just want to tell you, sir, you're my hero. You're a legend of all time. You're one of God's angels. God bless you, Coach. He started to walk away. Coach put down, young man, young man. Come, come on. What's your name, young man? Kelvin. Kelvin. He reaches over and he grabs him and he said, you just made an old man feel really good. I wouldn't want you to leave here under false pretenses who I really am. He said, I'm not. I'm not what I could be. I'm not what I should be. And I'm not what I ought to be. But I'm sure glad I'm not what I used to be. And I'm a work in progress. And you stimulated me to improve. He meant that. There was, no, there was no mics in front of them like we got now to impress somebody. So I see, I see God. I see God in people. Many, many people have that. There's something about them. So if there isn't a God, how come all the best people on the... Now, I do, I do have this. I have, I have several, several people that are atheists. They live a better life than a lot of the Christians I know. Let me give you an example of... Chris Jackson, Mahmoud Abdul Rauf, one of truly, I can almost cry thinking. I want, every time I see him, I just want to tap him on his cheek. Grew up in absolute poverty, had no idea who his father was, still today, lived in a dirt road, a terrible, terrible home, came here to Baton Rouge, the leading scorer in the history of basketball. He had an interesting situation that what, what, what Christians can do. Oh, and look what I get passed to me. Wow. Holy, I'm going to steal this. Oh, yeah. I, wow, that's beautiful. I made a lot of albums from the day. Well, let me tell you a story about him. He had Tourette syndrome, which is neurological disorder. They, they bark, they blink, they jump, they hit themselves. No more, no more. You have to take him by the hands at timeout. Beautiful, beautiful child. Uh, devout Bible reader. Didn't try to convert you, but boy, in the airplane, he wasn't looking at anything but the Bible, had it down perfectly. So when he got drafted in the first round, I called the owner of the team and the coach and told him, let me tell you the kind of guy he is. Whatever you do, do not swear around him, especially the Lord's name. Do not holler at him. Tourette people are very sensitive. They don't op- Put your arm around him. Tell him what was wrong. You need to do this. You need to do that. And I said, you'll have one of the great players. Lo and behold, a couple weeks after that, the ownership's gone. The coach is fired. So now the season has started. They may be four weeks into the season. I get a call from the Rocky Mountain News. Coach Brown, this is so and so forth. I'd um, like to know what you, 
your comments on what the general manager said about your player, Chris Jackson. I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, I'll read it to you. Here it is. This morning he said, if Chris Jackson's going to make it in the NBA, he better put down that Bible he's carrying around. What do you think about that? I pondered it for a minute, which is a lot for me. One second I usually respond. (laughs) And I said, well, it isn't what I think. Gandhi had seldom been interviewed. Mahatma Gandhi had seldom been interviewed by the, by the Western media. He accepted this invitation. One of the first questions he was asked was, uh, Mahatma Gandhi, tell us what you think about Christianity. Gandhi pondered for a few seconds and said, I think Christianity is a wonderful religion. And there probably would be more Christians if it wasn't for some of the Christians. <laughs> Shortly after that, Muslim people, he hadn't had nobody, brought him in, loved him, talked to him. Now, whether these guys are good or bad people, I've never met him. Changed his religion yeah. over this. So, wow. I know you're a very patriotic uh, gentleman. In fact, uh, I, 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 I tell this story, and I wrote this in my email, that, um, and it's true, that uh, my two heroes growing up were, were, were Ronald Reagan and you, Coach. Oh, wow. And, um, and, you know, I know you're very patriotic and talking about um, Chris Jackson, <clears throat> and I know I think he refused to, to – to, to stand for the anthem, or there was, there was some controversy about that. Yes. Did that hurt you? I mean, uh, um, we need media, but the media has totally changed. The yeah. media in the past used to accentuate the positive and diminish the negative. Now, too many of them are masters at accentuating the negative mm-hmm. and diminishing the positive. What they reported is not 100% true, not at all. Chris Jackson, now Mahmoud Abdul Raouf, wanted to pray that we, we help more people, America. And he wasn't defying America. He loves America. But nobody gave him – he's not the kind of guy to go out and talk and speak to things. So we see this right now. I'd swear to the Lord when I turn television on, if I turn on CNN and then turn to Fox, these are two different countries. They're both networks. Their jobs are supposed to be to report the valid news. And the problem with us, we're silent. My good friend Harry Edwards, icon of the civil rights movement, the guy that had the athletes stand up and hold their fists Mm -hmm. up when they won the Olympics, um, he told me many years ago, and I've repeated it, he said what worries him, he said, all through the history of the world, he said, evil's greatest ally is silence. One and a half million Jews were cremated in Auschwitz. The reason they were cremated? Silence. There was, there, was, there was a Lutheran pastor by the name of Martin Niemöller who had all the big armament dealers coming to his church. Hitler even came to his church. Niemöller, Martin Niemöller, chose to be quiet. Well, eventually, he got sent to a concentration camp. While he was there, he wrote a very profound statement that we all should do. We all should listen to. He said, first they came for the Jews. I said nothing. I was not a Jew. Then they came for the communists. I said nothing. I was not a communist. Then they came for the trade unions. I said nothing. I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Catholics. I said nothing. I was not a Catholic. Then they finally came for me, and there was no one left to speak. So silence always has been evil's greatest out. We're one of the lowest voting countries in the free world, the percentage of people that go vote. But easy to complain. 
I didn't mean to turn this into no, a political it's okay. rally. It's okay. Who are you voting for, Kelvin? <laughs> Todd or Dale? <laughs> I'm voting for Coach. Um, You've been listening to Cajun Catholics with Head Coach Dale Brown. Tune in next week for Part 2. And again, as always, engage the Cajun Catholic in you. God bless. God bless.